With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Some people don't understand why you've already busted out the sweaters. They may raise a brow at keeping scarecrows out year-round, but you just go ahead. Let them stare, because you eat, sleep, and drink pumpkin at Dunkin'. So sip your classic spiced and iced $3 medium pumpkin spice signature latte, or try the bold pumpkin cream cold brew, an ultra-smooth brew topped with pumpkin cream cold foam. Also $3 for a medium. All so you can fall harder. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. During Mattress Firm's Labor Day sale, get a king for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $700 on ceiling. Talk to a sleep expert and unjunk your sleep today. Mattress Firm. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. All right, hey, what's up, Knight fans? This is Adam from the Sons of UCF welcoming you to another special edition of the Sons of UCF. This is the Sunday Night Conversation Series, which if you're not familiar with the proceedings here... We, uh, we have a bunch of different interviews that we want to share with you guys. So here's a quick backstory. Uh, we, I don't know, did 97 some odd shows uh, that uh, in, uh, featured just a bunch of great interviews with former Knights, players, coaches, staffers. And uh, unfortunately, those got removed from the internet when we uh, went on a solo route here. So we've been trying to find ways to get those conversations back into your eardrums because we think they're really great. Uh, and if you're a true Knight fan, we know that you'll love them. Plus, we know some of you have... Maybe we just discovered Mike and I recently, and so we want to make sure we bring those conversations back to you uh, so you have the, the chance to enjoy them as well. So we have two uh, conversations that we're going to replay for you this evening, uh, and both of them involve quarterbacks. And what's interesting about UCF, if you think about it, is we've had a, a really good run of quarterbacks. We've had some names uh, uh, of some guys that have set record setters from Culpepper to Schneider to Bortles to Godfrey to Milton. But in between there, we, we've actually had a couple seasons where some guys have, have really had to come in and bridge the gap and, and sort of fill in sort of the holes and, and be the guy to replace the guy. And so we've got two quarterbacks to, tonight to talk to, uh, to. First, Vic Penn. Vic was the heir apparent to Dante Culpepper, who uh, back in you know that late 90s era was larger than life. He was the best thing ever happened to UCF. He graduates, and Vic Pedden steps in as the starting quarterback in 1999 and faces a murderer's row schedule. Uh, and then he uh, carries it into 2000 where he gets injured and all of a sudden makes way for Ryan Schneider, who, who comes on the scene and has uh, some record-setting years at UCF. So first up, we, we chat with Vic Penn about his experience at UCF and the pressures of being the guy to follow the guy. 
Then we have another quarterback who was only on the scene for about a year, but uh, one of the more important years in UCF history. We all remember that two, uh, 2010 season where Jeff Godfrey came in and took over and was kind of electric. But many people forget that 2009 season was uh, was a springboard uh, onto some bigger and better things. We had a, a bunch of players from that era on, uh, and and they've shared a lot of stories. Uh, most recently, we had Brian Waters on, and he talked about our next uh, our interview, I guess, uh, on this particular show, which Brett Hodges. And Brett was a transfer quarterback from Wake Forest, came in and sort of st- stabilized that 2009 season when UCF been going through a bunch of quarterbacks. So Brett has a really unique and unique experience. Uh, only one season playing at UCF, uh, and uh, we think you'll enjoy his memories of his one year and what that meant to him. So we think these are two really good conversations, and we are happy to bring them to you. One other note as you're listening to this, uh, whenever you're listening to this, don't forget that we also do a live show Thursday nights typically. You can find us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Just search on UCF. We are live with Trace Trelko on, uh, on board as well. And we just go through news and notes, topics, interviews, all that stuff. So uh, so as you're hearing this particular show this week, if you're listening in real time, you will see a, uh, a Suns UCF Live this week as well and a couple other fun things planned. So make sure that you're subscribing to all of the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all at Suns UCF. Make sure you're following our website, twonightsmedia.com. All of our information is there. All of our content is there, shows both live and pods, they're all there as well. So that's a one-stop shop for all things Sons of UCF. Now, all you got to do is sit back, relax, and enjoy, uh, again, Sunday night conversations. First up is Vic Penn about his time at UCF. So I'm going to shut up, and you can start listening. This is UCF head football coach Gus Malzahn, and you're listening to the Future of UCF podcasting with Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Boom. All right, so we're pleased to welcome our next guest to the program. So uh, two years uh, at UCF uh, at, at the quarterback position, he threw for over 3,800 yards and 21 touchdowns uh, and is none other than Vic Penn. Vic, welcome to the Sons of UCF podcast, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. It's nice to, nice to, nice to be here, and I appreciate you thinking of me. Yeah, no. T- so you uh, again. I, I, we were saying in the in the pre-call here, uh, you overlapped with our tenure at UCF. So uh, we certainly remember your your days at UCF well. But uh, not a lot of the younger fans uh, may know a lot about uh, your time at the program. So we're excited to to kind of get into your career. And uh, sure. I guess the first place we'll start is um, you didn't start off at UCF, right? So you attended South Carolina at a high school, uh, but you played a you played like eight games your freshman year for South Carolina. But ultimately, you decided to transfer out of the Gamecock program. Uh, what led that to that decision? What led you to uh, to leave South Carolina? Well, um, I, I in '97, I out of high school, went to the University of South Carolina, and um, I registered my first year. And then my second year, I was playing. Um, I was the backup to Anthony Wright, who ended up having a very uh, nice uh, college and NFL career as a quarterback, and Against Tennessee, uh, Peyton Manning's final home game in Neyland Stadium, uh, Anthony blew out his knee in the first quarter of that game. It was 110,000 people at that time. It was a record crowd because it was Peyton's final home game. And I went in, uh, he blew out his knee, and I went in, and I played the final uh, you know, three or four games and uh, actually was honored All-SEC Freshman Quarterback of the Year of 1997, 
And at the conclusion of that season, um, our offensive coordinator, uh, who recently passed away, John Reeves, was was let go from South Carolina. And uh, he was, you know, under Spurrier for many, many years. He's a former uh, Florida Gator quarterback, and he likes to throw the ball. And that's what I'd like to do. So when he left and they brought in, uh, you know, a, a different type of system, they wanted me to run the option and do all these other types of things. And I was just, you know, I, I'm a drop back passer. And um, I ended up leaving as well once he was uh, let go. So uh, I did one year in Garden City, Kansas Junior College after, after that. And then I ended up playing my final two years out at, uh, at UCF. Yeah, so t- uh, talk to us about that. How did you end up at UCF? I know you, were, you came out of Miami High. Um, so obviously right. you're probably familiar with UCF, but how did you, how'd you end up at UCF? Who called you and how'd you get connected to, up to Orlando? Well, I was, I, like I said, I went a year to garden city, Kansas and, um, coach Scott Fountain called me, uh, from UCF and he was, um, an offensive line coach, you know, slash recruiter at the time for UCF and being out in Kansas for a year, being from Miami and being out in Kansas for a year at that young of an age, I just wanted to come back home basically. And when UCF called Dante Culpepper was the quarterback, he had been playing there for four years. Uh, they didn't have anybody behind him to come up and, and step in. So they called me up and they, they offered me a scholarship and they had a tremendous schedule. I think it was Purdue, Florida, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Auburn that 99 year. Um, so I knew I was going to have to play some, some pretty big games. And when they, when they called me and it just felt like the right thing to do. And, and I came back to Orlando, came back home and, and the rest is history. Hey Vic, being on that 97 South Carolina team, you guys actually played against UCF and only beat us 33 to 31. Did That's any of right. that, did that game, like, uh, did that have would... any effect on you? I didn't, I, I didn't play quarterback in that game. I was the backup. Uh, Anthony was the starter. He played the whole game, uh, but I was the uh, holder for the for the extra points. And um, I think we got a couple field goals in there. But that was a great game, and uh, we 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 pulled it out. South Carolina pulled it out. Uh, but you know, Dante was the quarterback there, and he did a phenomenal job. And and they were tough. I mean, UCF always had a, a, a respectable team and you know you just couldn't you know as you all know we were always this close from beating that big game until we until we beat Alabama but um that South Carolina game yeah I was the holder for the field for the field goals and the extra points and uh we were able to pull that one out all right so in 99 after Dante leaves nobody really knows what to expect after that right right come in and you win the starting job in spring over Kelvin Robinson, and I right. think Brian Miller was there too. What, what do you remember about that battle? And, and did Coach Cruz kind of just promise you the job coming in, or no? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I, I didn't. I wasn't there for spring because I didn't get to. I didn't get to uh, UCF until the fall. So I was right. I mean, I got there right before the start of of, of, of training camp, and. Uh, it was not promised to me, no. Uh, Brian Miller came in at the same time. Brian was a freshman, tremendous athlete. Kelvin was already there. Kelvin uh, played in, in in the spring practice, but no, it was not promised to me. But I'll tell you what, uh, Coach Kruzak, you know, having played with and being coached 
by some tremendous coaches in my time, uh, Kruzak, and he taught me more about quarterback than I've ever known. I mean, if I had known the things that I knew from Kruzak when I was in South Carolina, I'd have been that much better because he took it to he took it to another level. He really did. I mean, I I didn't have the um, you know you hear a lot about quarterbacks having the uh, the okay to, to audible. Uh, Kruzak made it where you came up to the line of scrimmage, and if you saw this defense, you better audible. You better change it. If he calls this play and they come out in the defense that's going to stop that play, you better get out of it before the play starts. You better call one of these three or four plays. Uh, so we we uh, were really, uh, as an offense, at a different level back then because we were required to change the play based on what we saw that the defense was giving us. And he had little keys with the number 44. Now, every time number 44 is at that hash mark, they look like they're in cover two, but they're going to drop into cover three. Now, every time 44 is over here, two more yards, they stay in the cover two or they stay in the cover three. So he had little keys, little things like that. And when you came up to the line of scrimmage that you had to look for, and you would know what defense they were going to be in based on one guy and you better change that play at the line of scrimmage and get us get our offense into the right play. So uh, he was he was tremendous uh, quarterback coach. Uh, really, he really was. Well, replacing Dante, I mean Dante was basically a legend at UCF. Mm-hmm. Did you feel a lot of pressure replacing him, or like all these? Not really. Uh, you have to think about it that much. I mean, the, the the media made a big deal out of it because first of all, Dante was like six four, two sixty, and I was six one. 175 so it was a big difference right um but i never felt any pressure uh, having to uh replace dante i think the media made made it more of a bigger deal than it really was uh i was really well accepted by my teammates and coaches and i never really felt like i had to uh you know prove anything or be like dante or anything anything of that nature i think they nicknamed me um Vic K. Penpepper. <laughs> <laughs> so they called me Vic K. a lot. Um, but, no, Dante, obviously, is a tremendous quarterback and got a lot of respect for him. Uh, but, no, I never felt the pressure. I just wanted to go out there and play my own my own brand of football. Well, let's talk about Coach Cruz for a second. So you mentioned him a little bit, but uh, it seems common now. But back in 99, the, the offense UCF was running was actually pretty innovative, right? It was, it was kind of a heavy passing attack. And most programs at that point were doing the option we talked about, or, you know, it was three yards in a cloud of dust or student body left, student body right. But, but Cruz was kind of opened it up and sort of that, you know, kind of the air raid ish offense we see today. Um, what do you remember about playing in that offense and how, how exciting was that for you as a quarterback and as a player to be able to be a part of a scheme like that? It was, it was just phenomenal because I came from the university of South Carolina, as I mentioned, and John Reeves, uh, was my quarterback coach and John Reeves played uh, under Spurrier uh, and was one of the Florida Gators all-time greatest quarterbacks and they were run and shoot and Spurrier you, as you know is run and shoot and the, the system that we ran at South Carolina was identical to the Florida Gators uh, system which is obviously you know run and shoot and throw the ball but when I got to UCF it uh, coach Kruzak you know who he was a Pittsburgh Steeler. He was an uh, NFL for a long time as Super Bowl champion uh, under Terry Bradshaw. Behind Terry Bradshaw, came in one year. I think he won six straight games in a row. Uh, he he 
took it to another level. I mean, we were running a serious NFL offense because uh, not only with the schemes, but as I mentioned, but the, the ability to recognize a defense, read a defense pre-snap and say, listen, like I said, there, he always had indicators, you know, look at this one guy. When this one guy gives it away every time, when he's here, they run this. When he's there, they run that. So we were able to come out and, uh, first of all, he was very, very, very creative in the schemes that he ran, uh, the, the routes. Um, we didn't run the ball much. We, I think I, they, we threw, I mean, I think I set the uh, UCF attempt record in the same year. I think I threw 455 times in that year. Um, so we threw the ball quite a bit. Uh, but he, he made it where you had to know the defense prior to the snap of the ball and what what they ended up in you already knew based off one guy's key one guy would give it away um so cruzak took it to another level he really did well scheduling has been a big topic of conversation for ucf lately but you mentioned it earlier that 99 season we started off against four ranked opponents first one was purdue at home and drew Brees came to town right mm-hmm. we hadn't lost a home game in over two years at that point what do you remember about that game? And I mean, they beat us up pretty good, though. Huh? Yeah. Well, we came out. We um, I threw a touchdown pass to Kenny Clark on the first drive, and I think we I think the extra the extra point was snapped over my head, and so we we went up six to nothing. Um, touchdown pass to Kenny. We came out on the first drive, and which was Kruzak was we scored a lot on the first drive because Kruzak was able to scheme a first drive better than anybody I've ever been around. Uh, because he just knew what they were going to do on that first drive. And then we, we came out, we, 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 we threw the touchdown pass, and um, Drew Brees came out and did his thing, and he ended up becoming you know one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But the thing that I remember mostly about that game is, and I think this is the only time this has ever happened in the history of football, <laughs> and I'm being dead serious because I haven't seen it since and I hadn't seen it prior, we blocked uh, Purdue. Purdue went to kick a field goal. All right, and we blocked their field goal. And at the when the ball was blocked by UCF by us, it bounced right back to the holder. The holder picks it up and throws a touchdown pass to a tight end that's just running down the field. Okay, so picture it. A blocked field goal, boom, it blocks. It goes right back to the holder. The holder picks it up and throws a touchdown pass. I've never seen that happen. But that's the type of thing that would, would you know, uh, would doom us, uh, you know, from time to time. But um, they ended up beating us, uh, Purdue. And um, the thing that sticks out in my mind in that game is that we blocked the field goal. The holder picks it up and throws a touchdown pass. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> when something like that happens, you know it's not your day. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right about scoring first, because the very next week we went to Gainesville, and we scored first on them, too. On the we did. We did. We did. He was very good at scheming first drives, because he would say, this is what they're going to be in, this is what they do every first drive. So he had a game plan on that first drive, and most of the time we would score on that first drive, because we knew exactly what they were going to be in. We called the plays that would beat those defenses, and and we were able to, to score on first drives pretty well. So when we came to Gainesville in uh, Florida, we 
we uh, I think we went up seven to nothing there also. Yeah, and you actually had a pretty big game. You threw for I think over three seventy five and had three touchdowns. Yep. Uh, uh, so yep. You're, you're yep. feeling pretty comfortable now in the offense now. Yeah. Well, I mean that plus when you're in the swamp playing and that crowd is so loud and it's like I mean it's it puts you it's almost like you're on like some kind of drug because your adrenaline is I was like a machine on it. The, if the crowd would just be quiet, I probably wouldn't have played as well. But they were so loud, and it was so intense that my body just—I was—it was the best football game I've ever played in my entire life. And I and I give that to the to the, the Florida Gator crowd. I appreciate their help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so the next one, it really, really that, the adrenaline just 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 goes to another level, and you just. I, I couldn't. I couldn't be stopped. I think I threw 35 completions or something of that nature, and 300 something yards. So um, I, I gave it up to the crowd. All right. So the, the next week we, uh, we we lose to Georgia Tech, and, and so we're we're 0 and 3, and uh, we head up to Athens, Georgia, for a matchup against mm-hmm. the then 11th ranked Georgia Bulldogs. So mm-hmm. I think you know where this one's going. A lot of questions we had to ask here, right? So let me just start here from the beginning of that game. Um, the energy has felt different, and you guys went into halftime tied at 17. Was there anything specific in the game plan that led um, that gave you guys more confidence that week, or do you think playing some of the other ranked opponents leading up to that really kind of made a factor, especially as you guys went at the halftime with uh, with the tie game? I think we were all ticked off that we were 0 and 3 at that point, and in that week of practice, we were going to do anything we could to win this game because we were not going to go 0 and 4. And we had a great week week of practice, and uh, again we lost. You know what happened at the end there, but we almost beat them. <laughs> we almost won, and it was just—I don't think there was anything different. It was just, you know, we're going to go in here and we're going to beat this team because we worked hard, you know, all all camp, and we knew we had four. I think it was the our first four games were the toughest in the in the United States in the nation. I think it was the first. The first four games of the toughest schedule, you know, Purdue, Florida, Georgia, Texas, and Georgia. Um, and we just weren't going to lose that game. We weren't. Well, so all week long. <laughs> yeah, so not to cut you off. So, so uh, that's halftime, right? So then you head into the third quarter. Um, so right. you lead an 89 yard TD drive. You threw a pass to Paige Sessoms, who was your fullback at the time. Um, Paige and, Sessoms, yeah. And then. Uh, uh, Borleggi misses the extra point, right? So this is third right. quarter, right? So still plenty of time to play. At that point, did you think that that was a big deal? I mean, did you, did you, I guess, did you have any feeling well, that that would come I, back? The the extra point miss, I think, was it was mid fourth quarter. I don't think it was third. It was it was mid fourth, um, and it was should have tied to twenty four twenty four, but Correct. it ended up being twenty four twenty three, and we got the ball back you know, with about a minute to go. Um, so to answer your question, no, because we were going to go, we were going to win it anyway. So the extra point wasn't gonna, wasn't an issue at that point in my mind. Um, I was the holder for that extra point, and it, yeah, I think it hit the upright yep. and, and bounced right off the upright. But, yep. um, no, I didn't think it was a factor. Um, obviously, looking back on it now, I wish we would have made it because it would have maybe put it into a, an overtime type situation. I don't even know if we had overtime back then. But, um, yeah, we did have overtime then. So, yeah. um, 
Well, like you, so you weren't done. Like you said, there was there was a minute forty one left on the clock, and you got the ball back. Uh, so we're down one. Um, so right. you bring the Knights down sixty one yards. You find yourself on the Georgia Georgia twenty yard line. Twenty five seconds to go. Um, now, obviously, there had been some challenges with the kicking game. You referenced the uh, the miss there. Um, but uh, so obviously at that point we could have lined up. It would have been a thirty seven yarder for Berlegi. But Kruzek decided to decides to run one more play. Um, what were your thoughts on that yeah. decision? Do you remember yeah. that? Do you remember that call and what that decision was? I remember exactly what happened. Uh, we called timeout. I, I think I scrambled and I and I ran down to the nineteen yard line and I slid and then we called timeout and we went over to the huddle. And what we should have done is just maybe run a couple of running plays, maybe get five or six yards closer, kick the field goal and go home for win. But we decided to throw a fade route to Kenny Clark in the the back of the end zone. It was going to be something safe. You know, we're going to take a shot. Maybe we get it. If we don't, it's going to be incomplete. No interceptions. Um, and I threw the pass, and it was – the ball went out of bounds. So Kenny and the defensive back for Georgia went up for the for the pass – for the ball, but they were already on the sideline. They were already out of bounds. So the infraction that, that that took place, they called offensive pass interference on Kenny, which is ridiculous. And it's homegrown, you know, uh, Georgia referees, those SEC referees. They collided a little bit, but it was out of bounds. The ball was out of bounds. It should have been a no call. And we should have came back and kicked the field goal. But what happened is they called offensive pass interference on us. They backed us up 15 yards. On the next play, which nobody remembers, I hit to uh, Tavarius Davis 15 yards back to the 19-yard line on, a, on, a, on an out route. They called us for lining up wrong. Okay, so it was a uh, it was illegal move. Not illegal move. It was uh, – you know, we weren't, we didn't have enough men on the line of scrimmage, okay? Which a lot of people don't talk about that one because I hit Tavares Davis right back down to the 19 after we lost 15 yards on the previous pass interference. So they called two penalties on us back to back and they not, and they backed us up 30 yards. Both of them are 25 yards, almost a 15 yard penalty, almost a 10 yard penalty. Um, so. And that, and then that just put us out of range. And then I think we had uh, one chance at a hail mary at the end, but we had a uh, it was a bad snap. Uh, something happened, and, and I got hit. I threw the ball up. I just went straight up in the air. So um, that pass interference really took the wind out of everybody. And and then coming back and throwing that pass to bring us back down to the nineteen. Um, and then being called again for a second penalty. There were two penalties in that game. And um, just at that point, we were at a field goal range, and we had no chance but just try to throw it up for, you know, to, at the end of the game there. So we ended up losing 24-23. But that would have been a great victory for us. And I'm confident that Javier Berlegi would have made that field goal had we just maybe run a couple of plays, not thrown the fade to Kenny, run a couple plays and have Javier kick the field goal and win the game, which he did against Alabama the next year. Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, yeah. we had so many close calls kind of coming up to the ranks in the early D one years. Uh, and this, the Georgia game here was certainly one of the most egregious. What's uh so obviously in the locker room, I can imagine it's probably a pretty tough scene. What did, uh, what did coach Kruzek say to you guys after that game? 
to be honest. I can't remember. Um, but he he was he was very you know he he was very he was proud of us. Uh, I know he was proud of us. Um, we never point the blame on anybody. Um, certainly don't blame Javier um, or you know anyone. It was a team effort. The team loss. Uh, there are a lot of things during that game that could have happened that would have changed the outcome. Um, but it was the referees, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, the referees. So uh, they called two bogus penalties on us at the end there. Um, but uh, we played hard. We played tough. We have a we had a tremendous offense. We had a lot of uh, you know a lot of players on that team with a lot of heart, a lot of fight. Most of us were undersized because back then in UCF, you know, we would. We were we were too small in the minds of Florida State and Florida and Miami, so we would end up at UCF. But um, a lot of lot of heart on that football team, and a lot of great friends, a lot of great memories to this day. And uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we lost that Georgia game because we really should have won that one. Yeah. So after that 0-4 start, you guys got on a little roll. We won three out of the next four. And you were mentioning the players that you had on that team, those receivers, Charles Lee, Kenny Clark, Tyson Henshaw. How fun was it to throw the ball around to those guys? It was, it was great. Uh, I think Tyson ended up having uh, the following year was uh, became UCF. I don't know if he still is. I'm pretty sure he is. But he had the most receptions of uh, any receiver in UCF history. Um, tremendous receiver, super smart. Kenny, tremendous receiver, super smart. And Charles, tremendous receiver, super smart. And Charles Lee was kind of a freak of nature. I mean, he he had the, you know, he was 6'2". He could, you know, run a 4'3". He could go up and get it. He was fast. And, you know, it, all three of them combined um, made my life a lot easier because uh, and Tyson was like having another coach on the field. Because he he was very 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 smart. He he would you know, he was able to come back to the huddle and tell me what coverages they're running and uh, recommend things and recommend audibles and you know things of that nature. So having all three of them um, was a lot of fun for me and certainly uh, a great time and a great experience uh, that '99 year. And later in that year, we went back on the road against Auburn and. Another close game. We're winning 10-7. I think 10 minutes to go in the fourth, something like that. And we're driving again, maybe to, to add on to the lead at the Auburn 24. And I th- we missed the th- on a third down pass, and Borlegi misses another field goal. And then they, I think they kind of scored a couple touchdowns to end the game. What do you remember yeah. about that game? Uh, we, we dominated that game. And we, as far as, I mean, we didn't score a whole lot of points, but we, we controlled the ball. We, uh, you know, we, we threw the heck out of it. I think we we're over 300 yards passing on that one also. And it was close. And all of a sudden at the end, it just fell apart. Uh, and they scored two touchdowns in the final two minutes. Uh, and, and they ended up, you know, beating us. But um, that was a great game and another great experience. Uh, you know, our offense played very, very well uh, for, you know, 95% of that game. And it kind of fell apart at the end there. But, uh, again, we, we controlled the ball. We, we threw it. We, com- we completed a lot of passes and uh, just just didn't bounce our way. <laughs> the ball didn't bounce our way. Uh, 
yeah, that seemed to be the case in a lot of those games in 97, yeah. 98, 99. We were so close. But uh, – so I'm watching a game earlier this year, and they put up a stat on the TV. The only UCF quarterback to ever run for 100 yards in a game, and it was you, Big Penn, 122 yards against Middle Tennessee, which is still the UCF record. So it's, That's amazing to me because I'm not a runner. <laughs> okay. Um, Kruzak, Kruzak saw a, a – I guess a hole in their defense. And he called uh, during the week. He said, I think we can run this quarterback draw. Now I'm, I was pretty fast. I wasn't agile, you know, but I was pretty fast. So he called a quarterback draw. Um, I think it was the first quarter and it went for like 60 yards. All right. I think I made it all the way down to the five yard line. He got tackled at the five. So I had a couple other runs here and there. And then, um, he called the quarterback draw again in the third quarter, I believe, and it went for like 50. So it was two really big runs that I hit that Kruzak saw a hole in their defense, and it totaled to be 122 yards. And I guess, what, 20 years later, at the time I was the first and only quarterback to ever have rushed for over 100 yards. Because I think Dante was at like 98. Um and then I hit 122, and 20 years later, nobody's ever been able to to, to beat uh, 122. There's a couple times. There were a couple times where I think Mackenzie Milton got close, and um, you know 116, and uh, I think the the, the the quarterback that replaced him uh, maybe hit 120 or something, something really close. So anytime they get close, they like to mention that stat. Um, which I like them to get close. I don't like them to beat it, but um, I like it when they get close because then I get a little TV time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask, you must have had some long runs because you only had 11 carries. Yeah, right. It was 11 carries. It was the two big ones. And I think probably two of those 11 carries were probably sacks. Um, but I had you know, an eight-yard run here, a nine-yard run there, plus the two big ones. And that's how I got the 122. But uh, to this day, it's it's, it's still the, the record, which um, – which is it's fun for me. I mean, if somebody breaks it, somebody breaks it. It's great, um, but it's it's fun for me to you know when we're on you know with with the guys and hanging out and watching games and if somebody starts to get close to one twenty two, um, but thus far twenty years nobody nobody's done it. So I'm proud of that. Yeah, twenty years is a long time for any record, man. Yeah, so definitely. All right, so so shifting to the 2000 season, um, you know, we start off one and two. We had a close loss to Georgia Tech, and then uh, you know there there start to be a lot of reports in the media uh, about uh, quarterback controversy, and and Ryan Schneider was uh, was the backup at that point. Um, how much does that kind of stuff impact a player? Did that affect you at all? Were you aware of it? You know, how much does that stuff kind of get back to you guys? Um, you know, when you're living in the moment like that. I, to be honest, uh, it didn't really impact me at all. Um, I wasn't playing as well as I played the previous year in the first two or three games of, of, of 2000. Ryan Schneider ended up becoming one of UCF's greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, a good friend of mine to this day. And he used to actually like bless my footballs before, before I would play. So um, we were always good friends. There was never, you know, I always pulled for him. Uh, but when the media starts talking about quarterback controversies and whatnot, uh, we really don't pay too much 
too much attention to that. Uh, we just try to go out there and play our own our own uh, you know game and, and do the best we can. Um, I don't think that had any impact on me. I ended up uh, separating my shoulder, and Ryan came in and did a phenomenal job. And he ended up, you know, he had I think he was a redshirt freshman at the time. I was a fifth year senior, and he came in and had a, had a nice little second half there, and then uh, ended up becoming one of UCF's most prolific passers. I think you be, I think you beat a lot of Dante's records as far as passing, and he played. Shoot, I think he played four straight seasons there for UCF and just did a phenomenal job. Yeah, so yeah, you, you reference obviously the, the shoulder injury, and then uh, and then Schneider takes over. Uh, but that season culminates. Uh, obviously, Ryan, um, you know, took the bulk of the snaps from then on out. But you referenced it earlier. So, you know, being a part of all those games in '99 where we got so close. Um, obviously, how sweet was it? Was that uh, was that win versus Alabama that later on that year? I, I still think if you YouTube UCF the kick, they'll it'll come up because um, Alabama was beating us. They were they were kicking our butt and they were running it down our throats. And all of a sudden, they started to pass. And their coach, I think it was DeBose, got fired, I think, hours after we beat them because they stopped running the ball and they started throwing. I think we had an interception return for a touchdown and we just got the momentum back. And I ended up actually living in Alabama for a few years. And when you're, and I'm up here in the panhandle of Florida now, up by Destin, Pensacola area. So there's, this is Alabama territory up here. So 20 years later, I'm able to say in just about any situation, because I just run into people that have Alabama shirts on or, you know, hats and they're roll tied and they're all this and they're all that. And Alabama obviously, you know, is, is Alabama. <laughs> and I'm able to say, Hey, you know what? We went into Tuscaloosa and we beat you guys in 2000 and Berlin made that field goal to win the game. So you can roll tight all you want. <laughs> all right. Um, but being up here, living up here now, uh, it, it's a lot of fun to be able to, to be able to say that to these Alabama fans when they um, want to run their, you know, run their mouths and roll tide this and roll tide that. But anyway, um, a tremendous game, I, we, team effort. Uh, Schneider did a great job in that game, really did. And I think we uh, we all took a little piece of the grass from uh, from the stadium and kept it kind of as you know for memory purposes. And we uh, just we went up there and we won. And they weren't having a down year, but still, nobody knows, nobody cares. We went up there and we beat Alabama. And the story we just said that for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So looking back on it now, how would you describe your whole career at UCF? At UCF, um, I had a great time. I met phenomenal players. Uh, I think Asante Samuel uh, came in my senior year. Uh, he was a DB who ended up, in my opinion, one of the greatest cornerbacks in NFL history because he was darn good. All right, he he was he was really good. So I got to play with a lot of players, uh, a lot of great coaches. Uh, still great memories to this day. Uh, if UCF and South Carolina play, I'm always kind of like, mm. the, the good thing about uh, having two teams is that if one of them's having a down year, this year I'm a Gamecock, 
next year I'm a, I'm a knight, and depending on who's having the better year. I'm just kidding. But um, usually I will pull for UCF. Uh, as they say, once a night, always a night. So um, if, if South Carolina and UCF are playing, I, I'm, I'm usually pulling for UCF. Uh, but um, I, I think in UCF they haven't lost a game in two years. So um, tremendous experience. I mean, the, what they've done with that program since we've left, uh, you know, when, when I was there, we did not have the on-campus stadium. You know, we've hit the Citrus Bowl. We had, uh, you know, high school-type uh, facilities. And what they've done when O'Leary came in there, what they've done uh, with that stadium and on-campus and the indoor facility and all of the all of the amenities that they have on that campus now, it's, it's remarkable because when I was there, we didn't have anything like that. Um, as you guys remember, you were there too. Uh, so just a great experience at UCF. Wouldn't have changed a thing. I ended up uh, meeting my wife there, having a son. So, you know, as far as everything, um, I, I, I wouldn't have changed my decision and very happy to be, you know, UCF night. So catch us up on your life after UCF. Have you? Did you stick around in football? Did you do any coaching, or are you doing something completely different now? What well, um, I played. I, I played a year. I played a little bit in the Canadian Football League. I played um, a little bit in the Arena Football League. Uh, right now, I'm a financial advisor, but um, I work closely with my brother, and he's uh, started a clothing company called Noel Clothing which you can find at www.nolcc.com. And it's really unique because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a brand of fitness wear that specializes in the health, performance, and recovery of athletes. And we're able to achieve this through the clothing by using fabrics such as hemp, organic cotton, and other materials that are known to contain many features that are that are not found in other uh, fabrics, but are really designed to help the performance and recovery, especially the recovery of athletes. Uh, it's hemp-based uh, clothing wear. So, um, and it's Noel Clothing, and I partner with him. Uh, we're also financial advisors. We help veterans obtain benefits um, that they normally would not obtain because the VA has income and asset restrictions on certain things. Uh, so we have to rearrange their entire estate, uh, working with attorneys to put the veterans in a position. And we're talking about world war two veterans, Korean war veterans, Vietnam veterans, older veterans, uh, put their, put them in position to get $2,000 a month when they need, uh, assisted living or in-home healthcare. So, um, that's what I do now. I'm a financial advisor, and I also work closely with my brother with the Noel Clothing Company. And I'm up here in uh, the Panhandle of Florida, Destin area, if you're familiar with that. Um, but, no, I never got into coaching. Um, I coach my son. He's um, 13 years old, and he's playing uh, tight end and defensive end. Um, but... Um, as far as uh, actual coaching, no, I, I never got into coaching. All right, so we have a tradition around here on the show, Vic. We end every show, uh, every interview, if you will, with uh, with our guests with 10 random questions. So these can be 10 questions about 
sports, mm-hmm. music, movies, UCF, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. kind of comes to our mind. So, um, are you prepared yeah. to, to face these, uh, these, these 10 rapid fire random questions? Not really, but let's do it anyway. Go All ahead. right. You said this earlier, so maybe I know the answer, but who was the best athlete you ever saw while you were at UCF? Mm. Charles Lee. Yeah. You said he ran a four, three forty. That's, that's crazy. He was pretty. He was. He was pretty fast. Yeah, he was up there. He he took a he took a pass one time I threw against Auburn. I think it was a five yard pitch, and he took it like 80, 89 yards or seventy nine yards, something like that. Uh, he just beat. He went through eleven defenders of Auburn and just went took it to the end zone. It was one of the one of the most phenomenal runs I've ever seen. So I have to say Charles Lee. All right. What was the best? bar at UCF when you were there because me and Adam used to go to a bunch of them we probably saw you out so is it the pub the liquid cellar or the wing shack <laughs> I know nothing what bar what's the bar <laughs> um, uh, I would say the liquid cellar probably yeah that place is great um, alright so you, you mentioned this earlier so that 99 season you guys played like a murderer's row of, uh, of, of teams. Obviously we didn't have a conference back then, so it's a lot easier, but current time, there's a lot of chatter going back and forth about UCF and scheduling and so on and so forth. And Danny white, the AD has taken a stance that uh, he's not uh, a fan of playing two for one games. So, uh, so the question to you, Vic is should UCF, uh, schedule two for one games? Yes. And why? Well, I, I, I think, well, I think they need to do something with their schedule. I don't know exactly what that is. If they need to, they need to increase. They need to because the reason why they're not getting ranked where they need to be ranked is, in my opinion, it's because they're not playing the schedule that the other teams are playing. Um, they're, the conference that they're in, they're not. They're, they need. To, they need to get bigger teams in there because they're they're a big team, okay? But they're not getting the respect that they deserve because they're not playing the schedule that the other the SEC is playing. So. Although they haven't lost a game in two years, the schedule isn't really where it needs to be in order to get them where they need to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's no, it's a fair take. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. It's just obviously, you know, yeah. uh, the uh, you know, South Florida, the, the cows over there in Tampa, they've, they've adopted a model. We have our model, but it certainly just brought a lot of uh, healthy banter back and forth the last couple of weeks. So I uh, was so right. curious to get some, uh, some former players' perspectives on, uh, on how that works. All right. One of the other guys we talked to a few months ago was Bo Clark and his dad, Torchy. He's got a book coming out on his dad, Torchy. Did you ever have a class with Torchy while you were at UCF? I did not. Uh, Torchy, uh, I, I met him. I've spoken with him many, many times. Um, but I know a, a tremendous UCF night, Torchy Clark. And, um, but I don't, think I had one of his classes uh, I can't remember but I, I remember I remember speaking with him many many times just a lot of wisdom a lot of, of you know uh, insights on, on certain things um, but no I never had a class so I know in your career you, you spent some time uh, sometimes you were you weren't on the field and you were uh, you were you were the backup or you were uh, you were out of the game already and a lot of offenses, the, the quarterbacks on the sidelines, they signal in the plays to the quarterback on the field. Have you ever accidentally sing, signaled in the wrong play? And, and how do you guys remember all those all those different signals for all the different plays you have? Well, 
at UCF, no. Uh, one, one of our coaches, uh, Alan Gooch, uh, was the signaler. So the quarterback didn't signal in the play as Coach Gooch did. Um, but we had to spend a lot of time in the classroom learning those signals after practice, in meetings. Uh, you know, certain days we had to go in there and, and just it was just repetition, repetition, repetition. Coach Cruz was, was very good at that. So uh, once you pick it up, it's just like learning a language. It becomes second nature. It's like riding a bike. Uh, you, you can just signal it in. You know exactly what it is. It, it just takes two seconds. You know exactly what it is because it's like learning sign language almost. Uh, so you know, very easy once you do it, but it takes a lot of practice uh, over and over, a lot of repetition in order to, to get to where you need to be in order to make it second major. All right. We talked a lot about the 99 Georgia game. We know it as the burglary between the hedges. Now, did you have any sense of redemption when we beat them in 2010 in the Liberty Bowl? Did that make up for it at all for you? I was happy that we won. It will never make up for it because I've always, to this day, 24-23 to 23 and being so close and getting down to the 19-yard line with you know under a minute left and just being right there to win the game and go home and shock the world, uh, no, I, it, it didn't. It didn't give me any. Didn't didn't help uh, soothe my my uh, my feelings or or my broken heart, if you will. All right. So you played quarterback, and uh, so obviously there are some times, unfortunately, where you got uh, you got hit, you got sacked, maybe one of your linemen got beat, and and they gave up a hit. Uh, and so um, has has a lineman ever apologized to you? So you get just blasted. An alignment comes over and like puts his hand out to help you up. Has, has anybody ever apologized to you? Was it like, "Hey, my bad," or, or do you even want them to say something to you in that moment? You no, know, I just want to tell them to get the heck out of here. But um, <laughs> no, I'm already kidding. No, yeah, no, I play with a lot of great offensive linemen, and um, it, you know, so but yes, they, they do. Uh, if 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 they make a mistake and I get nailed, most of the time they'll they'll apologize. Yes. Okay, so being the starting quarterback of a college team has to be pretty cool. And I'm sure there's some perks that go along with it. How easy was it to talk to the ladies with that opening line right there? Hey, I'm, I'm the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> you said you met your wife um, out there, so I'm sure uh, it worked. Yeah, I met her after. Yeah, um, I didn't – you had to be smart about it. You can't go be like, hey, I'm the quarterback. No, no. Um, you just have to, you know, uh, there are definitely perks, definitely perks. Um but Cruzac kept us so busy that I didn't really have a lot of time to go out and socialize during my time there. So um, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we gotta have another conversation. Yeah, we gotta we gotta hit we gotta hit stop real quick and uh, get some details here. Um, all right, last one for me. So uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisible. Oh, well, okay. Why? I've got to know. Because I could just be invisible, and I can do pretty much whatever I wanted. Fair enough. If I, I, would, I would pick and being, I, I would pick to be invisible, and whatever I wanted. All right, I got one more. We all know Coach K was the strongest guy on the team, but who who is the next strongest guy among the uh, players that you played with? Pete Sessoms. End of story. You Pate think Sessoms. he could beat? He can beat Coach in the norm wrestling contest. Could, could Paige beat Cruz? Yeah. Now or back then? No, back then. I don't know. Cruz Act is a pretty strong guy. I mean, he, he was in the weight room, you know, five in the morning working out, uh, setting the example. Uh, but Paige, I, I think 
Paige will probably take him. Paige is a strong dude. Yeah, I talked to uh, I talked to Coach Cruzek's son Garrett probably about I don't know like twenty shows ago, and he says that coach still gets up every morning and gets in the gym and still pumping iron. So I don't I don't know yeah. I, I don't know if we'll have to set that up or not, but uh, Cruz yeah, certainly when had. I, when I first met Garrett, he was a little boy. He was probably six or seven years old. So it's amazing how fast it goes, you know. Yeah. He was he was a little kid when I went, when coach would bring him around. Um, but uh, yeah, I still think the page should probably take him. All right, we'll see if we can set that up. We'll, we'll have to look in the budget and see if we have that in the uh, in the in the show budget. But uh, but listen, Vic, we appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule and uh, and catching up and reminiscing. Uh, again, you know, you were uh, you were there when we were there, so we always remember your uh, your years finally at UCF, and uh, um, you know, certainly everything you did for the program and uh, all the hard work you put into that ninety nine two thousand season, and uh, sort of where the program has has come as you know because of guys like you and, and the sacrifices and what you all put in so uh so i, I definitely appreciate your time as a, as a knight and uh i appreciate you for taking uh taking some time to join us tonight absolutely and and i appreciate you guys uh thinking about me and, and having me on i wish you the best of luck again once a night always a night and um you know we, we, you, do, you guys also do a lot for the program and uh, we certainly appreciate that and I, I certainly appreciate your kind words thank you very much this is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajri, and in my spare time, when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge on! Here on the Sons of UCF, we pride ourselves on finding you some of the best players to ever don the black and gold. And so the guy on the line with us this week uh, only played one season, but he played a pivotal role, I think, in the transition of UCF football. And so we're ha- very happy to uh, to bring on uh, Brett Hodges, former quarterback. He played a big role in the 2009 season, which includes a, a win against Marshall that we'll get to in a second. So, uh, so Brett, first off, thanks for uh, hopping on tonight and joining us on the Sons of UCF. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's let, let's start here quickly. So, um, take us back to to your summer of 2009. Um, you had just left, or you were leaving Wake Forest, uh, but you had one year of eligibility remaining. Uh, how did you end up at UCF? How did uh, how did that marriage come together? Yeah, that's uh, that was a lot to happen in a in a pretty short time frame. So, when I decided to leave Wake um, and graduate, and I think it was I forget when the graduation was, but it was towards the beginning of the year, and uh, and saw the extra year of eligibility, and really honestly wasn't even looking to play football um, anywhere. So the last season when I was at Wake was pretty tough, just you know, primarily being a backup quarterback and, and not seeing the field at all. And, and times throughout the season that, uh, you know, I felt that maybe there were opportunities to see the field didn't happen. And so, you know, kind of looking at my future at Wake for that final season, um, you know, kind of put a damper on football for me a little bit, just for kind of all the, you know, the hard work that goes in for being a quarterback, especially as a backup. Um, you know, you got you got to do what the starter's doing, you know, with, with you know, small likelihood that you're you're actually going to play. So um, when I decided to, to graduate, that was really just the plan was to graduate and uh, graduate a computer science degree. And, and I wanted to do something on the lines of cybersecurity or um, you know IT security in that realm. And so I was looking around and ended up um, getting accepted to uh, to Purdue uh, and going as a, a, a I guess quote unquote regular student. So I wasn't going to go as an athlete, but had uh had the intention to to try to walk on the basketball team while I was there. I was played basketball quite a bit in high school and 
um, had had multiple offers coming out of high school. And so kind of being my number one passion, I was like, you know, let me give this a try for my last year of eligibility. Um, and kind of throughout that time, uh, I started getting phone calls and one of them was Tim Salem. So he, I guess, got word um, that I was transferring and, and grew up in Orlando, uh, went to high school Winter Springs. And so, you know, pretty, pretty knit community in that sense. And, and, and the word got out. And so coming off of, of that season, I guess the 2008 season for them, uh, he reached out and saw, uh, wanted to see if there was interest in, in coming to play. And at first I was kind of hesitant um, because I'd be coming in as a, essentially the backup again. I'd be coming in as the second string quarterback behind Rob Calabrese. And as I was talking with, with him about that, um, it would be on full scholarship again. So when I kind of looked towards the future after football, I saw essentially a free master's degree um, out of that deal and said, you know what, for another year, um, you know, worst case, if I'm back up again, I can deal with it uh, and get my degree in digital forensics. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to the beginning of the season and, you know, week one, two, and finally three, um, ended up ended up getting to UCF and, and playing my last year there. So it worked out pretty nice. I would say today there's there's a lot of talk about Power Five and, and Group of Five schools. Obviously, you had some unique experience playing at a quote unquote Power Five school and then and then transferring to UCF, which obviously by some is considered a Group of Five school. In your opinion, is there really an appreciable difference between sort of the quote unquote Power Five and the Group of Five just based on on the facilities, infrastructure, and and sort of the level of play? Yeah, I mean, I think when I think when I played, I would say yes. Um, I mean, my sample pool is Wake Forest, right? So, you know, very small private school in the ACC, 4,000 kids. So the facilities didn't match up to your Florida states, right, or your Miami's uh, or whatnot. So as I was kind of looking uh, at different colleges out of high school, uh, East Carolina, I mean, I visited UCF, uh, USF, a bunch of other schools that had better facilities. Um, but when you want to separate them by – you know, quote, unquote, power five versus group of five. I think back then, uh, the power five schools definitely had an advantage. I think if you look now, uh, at least some of the social media stuff that I'm seeing for non-P5 schools, you know, it's, it, the amenities, if you want to call it, I think are, are getting up there, um, you know, to be quite similar, if not the same as some of these power five schools. So when you came over to UCF, they didn't promise you the starting job at all. You, you said you came in expecting to be the backup? Yeah. So uh, when I, I mean, initially spoke with Coach Salem and then obviously had a conversation with, uh, took a visit, had a conversation with Coach O'Leary. And um, when we sat down, he, he kind of laid out, hey, look, you know, Rob's our starting quarterback. Um, this is what our 2008 season looked like. This is where we want to go. Uh, you know, we feel like you can, you know, automatically without – you know, throwing a pass in practice, you know, coming as the number two. Um, I think mostly just kind of my experience of, of being in the ACC and also being a fifth-year guy of just playing football for a longer period of time. Um, and, and so that was the plan. And, and the one thing I was appreciated about Coach O'Leary was he didn't play any politics when it came to stuff. So he was very much, um, you know, the better player is going to play. And if that's the whole season, if that's a game, whatever it may be. Uh, he, he very much let actions speak for words. And so I felt that when I spoke with him and said, you know what, I'm going to come to compete my last year. Um, if things don't work out on a backup again, then, you know, so be it. I'll, I'll do what I can for the team, for Rob. Uh, UCF is a school I grew up my whole life 
where my dad pitched there, all my siblings, my mom went to school there. So, um, you know, just being back was special. And then obviously best case scenario, if, if I can play well and, and earn a starting spot, you know, that would be, uh, uh, would be fantastic. So that first week against Samford, we weren't moving the ball at all that when uh, Rob was in there. And finally we got things going when you came in and kind of bailed us out. I couldn't believe we were almost going to lose to those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that was a, uh, I mean, I guess tough first game for me at least. Uh, so I, I came, I got to UCF a little over a month before the season started. And, uh, and what we ran at Wake Forest, I don't want to call it gimmicky offense, but it was very, UCF ran under earlier, very pro style offense. The, the lingo was the same. The, route concepts were the same, you know, reading coverages were the same. And so coming from Wake, I definitely had a higher learning curve uh, to pick up some of, you know, the playbook as best I could. So when uh, when I got the call in the uh, second half, I think it was, maybe into the first, I can't remember. Um, you know, there were definitely some, some nerves there. And I'm not typically a nervous guy, but, uh, you know, it was just kind of, all right, I had a month to figure out this playbook, and now I'm having to come in. I think we might have been losing at the time. Um, you know, whether it's a D1 school or not, still college football, right? And so, um, you know, I think once I took the first couple snaps, things ended up working themselves out and, and could have just played football and, you know, won the game, which, which would have been very bad if we didn't. <laughs> Right, so Rob, you said obviously your dad pitched at UCF, and and most of your family went to UCF. How how did we let you out of Orlando? How did you how do we even let you get to Wake Forest? What was your recruitment like out of high school? And how did I guess was was UCF uh, on your radar coming out of high school? Yeah, no, they were. Um, they were they were towards the top of the list. He uh, goes, Coach Huxtable was recruiting me at the time, if I remember, and. Uh, yeah, took my visit and did the camps there, the, the 707 that you can bring the high school teams with. And um, I guess it doesn't count as an official visit, but they kind of get looks at you and whatnot. And just going through the process, I think Kyle was, Kyle Israel was already there uh, his first or second year um, at UCF. And I just felt based on, you know, everything I was being told and, and what was, you know, what Kyle was doing at the time that, um, you know, in so many words, I didn't think that was like a higher priority on UCF's list. And so as I looked at some of the other offers, um, you know, obviously it was, uh, you know, playing in the ACC is what ultimately did it and made my decision go to Wake. All right. Well, Mike mentioned, obviously, you uh, you got the nod uh, to come off the bench against Sanford. Uh, and then it wasn't soon after that you, you took over really the, the job full time. One of the early uh, games, though, uh, you know, as, as you kind of got your feet wet, as you, you explained a little bit about the, the learning curve, um, one of the early games you had was against ECU. That was a, that was a tough one for us. Uh, you threw you threw four INTs that game. Not to bring up a, a bad moment for you, but as as a as a quarterback, I've always been curious. How do you how do you put that kind of stuff behind you? Right, everyone makes mistakes, uh, but, and I'm sure you didn't go into that game planning on throwing four INTs, but. How do you kind of put yourself that stuff behind you and keep moving forward positively when obviously you know that yeah. you're not maybe playing your best in that game? Sure. And that was a tough one because I think we lost by less than a touchdown and we four picks and I think we had a fumble loss. So five turnovers on offense and we lost by five and kind of had a chance at the end to win it. Um, but just, I guess, being a quarterback, you'd have the mentality that, um, 
not that you don't care, but you kind of have a, it, it happened, move on. And when you watch film and look at like where, where do those interceptions come from? Um, you know, obviously some were bad throws, some um, could have been bad reads, some could have just been, you know, bad luck of tip, tip balls or hitting off the hand. So when I left that game, obviously it was pretty discouraging, um, you know, being my one and only final year at UCF um, to do that. But, you know, we still had so many more games left in the season. And so I took it as kind of a learning experience. I learned a lot that game with the playbook and speeding up my reads and, and, and things to look for that came out of that. And so, um, you know, I think that was a big turning point for me, uh, you know, to kind of just, you know, let me play quarterback, trust that I understand the playbook and, and, you know, and see what we can do and get some wins. Another big game in that early uh, 2009 season was uh, the chance to play uh, Miami at home, uh, which obviously was was a big deal for UCF at that point. Um, you know, getting a quote unquote top power five type school to come play. Uh, obviously, the score didn't turn out in our favor, but to this day, that that game still remains one of the most uh, most attended games of a, of a game on campus. Can you recall back to that that night, just the atmosphere and, and the bounce house and, and playing Miami and kind of how, how how crazy that atmosphere was that time? Yeah, it was a, it was a tweet experience. Um, I don't, I think it was an ESPN game too, right? It was, so yeah. National yep. televised yep. night game, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just something about you know playing in front of forty five, fifty thousand, however many people they fit in the stadium that night. Um, that's just that's just really fun to play. And as a player, uh, when you can play night games that are televised, there's just something else about that too that kind of brings an extra level of excitement and anticipation to to wanting to play and i i grew up i mean essentially since i was born going to ucf games when they're in the citrus bowl and going to ucf games when there were you know five thousand people sitting in that entire thing um and so kind of remembering that as a kid and then running out of the tunnel um to to see you know the stadium packed and, and the lights on and, and ready to play football it's just such an awesome experience all right, let's get to a, a positive game, the Marshall game. We struggled a lot during that game, too. We were down two scores late in the fourth quarter. Uh, Bruce Miller makes the crazy strip sack. We get the ball back. With about 23 seconds, we're at the one-yard line. Now, take us through this next play because I don't know. Can you tell us what play was called and what actually happened? Because Rocky Ross was standing out there on the side, and nobody was even within 10 yards of him. <laughs> yeah, so – yeah. When people when people ask me this question, I, I I don't know if I've ever like given this answer to like the media or it definitely wasn't asked after the game. But uh, if I remember, I think we had two tight ends maybe because we're on the one yard line. Um, Kamari can caught that caught that post uh, to the one yard line. We had double tight ends. Rocky obviously was on the right side, not covered. We had AJ Guyton on the left. And um, he was supposed to motion over. And it was kind of like a sprint out right, high, low, AJ running the flat, Rocky running the corner out. So when people look at this from, you know, watching on TV and hearing about it, they're kind of yelling, like, Rocky's so wide open. Why aren't you just snapping the ball now? Like, why are you waiting? Why are you looking around? Um, what Marshall did that game is they ran a, they ran a, um, we call it a diamond, but it's like a three-three-five offense, or sorry, defense that can get really tricky with disguising coverages or knowing like where players are rushing from or, or dropping. And so I knew I had a two person route 
I didn't know if the the safety on that side was just disguising coverage and that you know right before the snap was gonna was gonna play his his half of the field. And so what I didn't want to do was not bring in the motion, snap it, have Rocky covered, and then we're kind of dead, right? So um, what I tried to do was kind of just focus all my attention on the left side of the the field when I was calling the snap count and motioning AJ over. And so right on the snap, I knew, um, you know, who was the only guy who could make a play. Uh, and so eyes went straight to him. And honestly, Rocky and AJ both were right wide open at the time. And so just gave him a nice little ball out there um, for, for the touchdown that ended up winning it. I was going to say, I thought maybe that was just improv. And then O'Leary still would have been mad at you for, for not running what he called. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely some of that, too, throughout the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, it's in, in hindsight, if I, it, you know, obviously if it's a negative outcome, it's, you know, it's what the hell are you doing. If um, if it works out, it's great. But I just felt at the time and throughout the game with what they were doing, uh, I, I wanted two options, um, especially with no timeouts and, and as little left you know, time when I was on the clock. So um wanted to get him over there and, and end up working out nice. Uh, the next week we went to go play Texas and you sat out and a couple other starters sat out. What was that like in the locker room? What was the talk about going into that game? <laughs> we were beat up, man. Uh I know I was beat up specifically for Marshall. Uh so if you if you go back to the Sanford game when I played it was a play in the second half. Uh, I threw a pass uh, to Kamar and took a helmet, a helmet to the left rib cage and cracked a couple ribs. And so kind of throughout the season, I was playing with uh, you know, some banged up ribs and this little flak jacket they made for me. And so there's many hits I took in the Marshall game. My body was just kind of breaking down and I did everything I could uh, that week going into Texas to try to play, to try to, you know, throw, uh, and couldn't do any of it at all. And, uh, got to Thursday, Thursday's practice, which is typically like a walkthrough, uh, to kind of give it a, the best full go I could and, uh, and tried to lobby O'Leary to, to let me play. But, you know, I, I guess running some of the offensive plays and throwing, uh, for what I could wasn't wasn't up to par for for him, and so he decided to to sit me out. And then I forget what what uh, what Brent had, but Brent had a pretty legitimate injury too. I know there was I know there was talk during that week of him kind of purposely sitting us to rest for conference play in Houston the next week. Um, but we were very much uh, we were very much injured. It, it was a bummer for me too because I definitely wanted to play at Texas. Um, when I come out of high school, I was doing the Elite 11 stuff with Cole McCoy. And so, you know, just kind of going back there and, and, and playing against them in that environment would have been pretty cool. So, um, so yes, I guess we were, we were pretty hurt. Yeah, I remember there was a big controversy because you guys were sitting out and everybody was talking about maybe we're just giving that game away and then looking forward to the rest of the season. Because Texas, I think, was number two or something at the time. Yeah, they were number two. I think they won the national championship that year too, if I right. remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I think I think what made it worse though was uh, O'Leary dressing us. And so if if I had to make the decision that if I, you know if I wasn't going to play, if I wasn't fit to play, then I would rather not dress. Um, and so I think people saw us in the sideline on helmets and, with helmets and shoulder pads, and um, you know kind of made the assumption that we were being held out for for quote unquote more important games. 
Well, the next week was an important game. The game at Houston, the first time we ever beat a ranked team. You had a pretty good day that day. You completed 84 passes, 84% of your passes. And the big play I remember was the touchdown to McDuffie right down the middle. What were your favorite moments from that game? Well, one, we won. Um, <laughs> I think it was especially neat for me, like I said, growing up with UCF, and I think we were 0-20 something in, in playing ranked opponents. And so being the quarterback, uh, you know, at the school I kind of grew up with my whole life, uh, to get the first ranked win, uh, first team, first uh, win against the ranked team was um, was really special and, and was really cool to to kind of have for, for my short period there. But I, I, I think the, the biggest thing I can remember is the play to Quincy uh, McDuffie. And so what's kind of neat about that play is, I don't know if it was the quarter before, it was the exact same play that I ended up throwing a pick on that Quincy was running down the middle, I think overstayed a little bit to the safety and through interception. So we actually went back to that exact same play and I knew it was going to be there and really just trusted myself and, and Quincy as a freshman um, to, to go up and get it. And so, you know, you look at it on TV, I, I looked at it on film after the fact and I saw the three guys there as I threw it. I don't know if I would do that again, but um, <laughs> it, it, I'd say that's probably the biggest the biggest moment I think of that game, it, it really took us to, um, you know, we might win. Like we're, we're winning the game. Now we got to hold on to, Hey, like we're, we're really good. We're really going to win this game. Um, we're putting points on the board. Our defense is so great. They're stopping, um, you know, case Keenum and that, that high powered offense at the time. So I think it really gives us a lot of confidence. So you see, I finished out that season with a, uh, with an unfortunate bowl loss in the St. Petersburg bowl. Uh, ended eight and five in that year. I think a lot of people look back on that 2009 season, Brett, and, and really kind of think it's a it was a bridge into the, the 2010s, if you will, where UCF reeled off five winning seasons out of the next six years. Um, how about you? How do you look back on that 2009 2009 season? You know, the only season you played at UCF. What are your What are your memories, and how do you? I guess how would you describe that season uh, when you look back on it now? Yeah, I mean that that out of out of all of my football I've played, the the four years at Wake Forest and the one there, I mean UCF's the uh, you know the one year that I look back on the most, and you know playing's a big part of that, but also um, just kind of what UCF means to 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 my family and whatnot. And so 2009 is I was pretty proud personally of being able to um, kind of spin up learning the offense in, in, in a pretty quick fashion and then, you know, getting results in the field, um, which, uh, you know, which worked out pretty nice. And I was especially proud of the, the hard work I, I put into that. I mean, there, I look back at it and there's some regrets, you know, do we lose to Southern Miss? You know, probably shouldn't have um, East Carolina again, probably shouldn't have. Uh, if you want to say we lose to Miami and Texas, then that's, you know, we're 10 and two. Right, in, in territory that UCF hasn't seen. So, like overall, I think the record is is what it is. But um, I do agree that I feel like it was kind of a nice jump war to, um, you know, propel UCF to more consistent season by season basis of of successes. And I do credit, um, I guess, the late coach Taff of of for everything he did for me. But then also, I think kind of behind the scenes stuff he did for the team that that may, many people may not recognize just from uh, being the offensive coordinator or whatnot. So, you know, traditionally 
feel like UCF was a, you know, a very run heavy, methodical, uh, run first team. Uh, Coach Taft got there and I, I felt like we slowly started getting to more of a balanced NFL, t- you know, style type offense. And you now you insert Jeff Godfrey and the insert Blake um, and some other guys. And now we're, you know, we're running offense that that's fun for the fans to watch. There's, there's more scoring uh, and whatnot. And so, you know, does that play a part in, um, you know, where we got to running this high powered offense with Frost and Heifel and, and whatnot? Maybe, maybe not. But I look back at it. Um, it definitely holds a special place in my heart. And if, if I, you know, I did my little part of my, my one year there, wish I had more um, to, to help future successes in UCF than, than great. All right. We've had a bunch of ex quarterbacks on that played under old theory and they all had at least one story where he just tore them apart for something, whether it was something in the game or in practice, Do you have a moment where he just laid into you for something. <sighs> Just one moment. <laughs> the best one. Or give us a couple. Oh man. Um, I mean, he's called me names and said things to me after throwing picks that that I probably don't want to repeat. Um, I mean, the thing, man. One story. Um, well, how did he keep you in there after that third and fourth interception against East Carolina? Well, so so that's 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 kind of what I'm thinking about. So he would he would always threaten me and players that if they weren't if they weren't going to do something good or they're not doing what they're supposed to that they would just be yanked immediately so at ECU I remember the second interception um the first one he was kind of he wasn't happy but he was like whatever the second one he started getting pretty pissed off and he came up to me and he said done like you're done no more interceptions you throw another interception you're out of the game you're not playing anymore and so I remember throwing the God, I don't even want to tell these stories throwing the third interception of that game um, and running to the sideline. I'm like, well, I'm done. Like I'm done for the day and just waiting for him to come over and just cuss me out and yank me. And so I remember just standing on the sideline, kind of just not hiding behind anybody, but definitely kind of giving him the side. Like, is he coming over here to yank me? Is he going to come cuss me out? And just, uh, you know, kind of walking down the sideline in parallel with him, um, you know, just waiting for him to yank me and, you know, as it was, he, he kind of let me ride with it um, and then got to the fourth interception. And for sure, I was expecting the same thing. But instead, I just got a whole bunch of, you know, getting cussed out and, uh, and calling a lot of other names. But um, that's, I don't know. I mean, other than getting just, you know, yelled at a lot and threatened, um, that's that's probably the one of the better ones I can think of. <laughs> Have you had a chance to keep up with the team? You you follow the team now, I'm sure, right? Your family's a diehard UCF fan, so you keeping up with the guys. What do you think about Dylan Gabriel and the way he's played this year? I, I'm pretty happy with what I've seen. Um, I think he's kind of put in a, in a tricky situation just from the last two years and the successes that we've had um, that, you know, the UCF fan base expects perfection. And I think, you know, we've been spoiled with McKenzie and, and, uh, and and different quarterbacks before and uh, and don't really realize that he's, you know, he's a true freshman, right? Um, he wasn't in high school very long ago. And so um, there, he's going to make mistakes, right? You know, it's just unfortunate that some of the mistakes that were made this year were, um, you know, could argue, you know, could have cost some of the games and, and wins and losses and whatnot. But I'm happy with, with what I've seen from him. I think he has a, a really bright future. Uh, it seems like he's learning week to week. 
Uh, his, his reasons seem to get better. It seems to be like he's progress, progressing more on his routes, whereas kind of beginning of the year, uh, you know, he picked a person and threw it, um, you know, receiving it 50 yards downfield. But uh, seeing him run uh, these last few games and some of the read option and, and just quarterback scrambles, I think, is going to help him out tremendously um, from a throwing perspective. So I've, I, th- I think you see us in good hands with, with Dylan. You mentioned obviously you played in a in a pro style offense, Brett. Would would you have liked to have played in an offense like the one Hypo runs, where you know you're you're moving so fast the tempo and you're throwing a bunch of go routes as as a quarterback? Is that an offense you would have wanted to play in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if I would be recruited to play in a in that kind of in that kind of offense. I don't know if if I'm that good of an athlete uh, at the time, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's an element of when you're a quarterback, not thinking is a good thing. And when you put all the preparation in before the week, it's kind of ingrained into your head uh, on what to do. When you play such a fast tempo offense, you can't think about, uh, you know, the bad pass you threw, the bad read you had, or the sack you took. It's just on to the next play. And I think there's a lot of benefits to, um, you know, kind of letting the the player use their skill set uh, and, and just use their natural ability to make plays and and, and not be prohibited by, um, you know, too much thinking or complex thinking of, of the playbook. So, um, yeah, I would absolutely have loved to do that. Um, would I have been a good fit for that? I'm not sure about that, but I guess we'd never know. <laughs> All right, well, we appreciate your time. You've been really gracious with it. So we end every every interview with uh, with former players on uh, 10 random questions. So 10 random sort of rapid-fire questions. Could be about anything from music, movies, sports, uh, anything at all. So are, are you prepared? Are you ready to face uh, 10 random rapid-fire questions? I don't know. Do I have a choice? Probably not. You can hang up right now. <laughs> yeah, you can hang up, but you know, you, you, yeah. you're not going to miss no, this. This is the best part. Of, this is the whole. This is the I'll best part. Yeah, this is the best part of the conversation. So let's. I'll start with this one. It's an easy one for you. Uh, so obviously, you went to Wake Forest, and then obviously you came to UCF. Who would win in a fight between the Demon Deacon mascot and Nitro? Oh, UCF easily. All right. See, see, you're already on a roll. You're already on a roll. All right, one and zero. All right. What's the best Christmas movie of all time? The best Christmas movie of all time. What's your favorite? Uh, Christmas movie. <laughs> the Christmas story. <laughs> Christmas story. <laughs> it's good, but the correct answer is Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've always wanted to know this question. So, and and after the games, we see this stuff all the time. Coaches in the locker room. And they're handing out game balls to the players, right? Do you guys actually get to keep the ball? Do you actually get a ball to take home, or is it just a symbolic game ball? No, you get to keep it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've we've. Uh, I guess I don't know who's listening to this, but uh, yeah, we've taken jerseys and helmets and a lot of other things. Uh, there's plenty of games ball, yeah, uh, footballs to go around. So yeah, very much get to keep it. Nice. Okay. Great. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? fly that's a good one well speaking of flying so you mentioned earlier obviously you were banged up in the texas game uh is there still a body part of yours that hurts today from playing football uh yeah my shoulder separated my shoulder when i was at wake 
So when the weather gets bad and something with the air density gets all jacked up, my shoulder hurts. All right. What's your favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot? Um, probably have to go with Scottsdale. Great golf. And what are you shooting? I'm a five index. Not bad. I don't even know what index means. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a handicap? That's pretty We're good. Handicap. Yeah. All right, so you're pretty good. All right, you mentioned earlier you're a basketball fan, so um, answer this for me. Who is the best NBA team in Los Angeles right now, the Lakers or the Clippers? Lakers. Okay. They're on a roll right now. They're actually winning against Indiana as we speak. All right. They're a little with the Lakers. Let's keep it in the basketball thing. Were, were you ever able to dunk? Can you dunk? Can you still dunk to this, to this day or no? No, I cannot still dunk. I think I've dunked maybe three times in my life, zero times in a game. All right, so you were more of a three-point shooter? Yeah, I was, uh, I was like a shooting guard. All right, earlier this season, uh, actually probably over the summer, we had a debate uh, on our show about who was the best transfer of all time at UCF. Our colleague, Trace Trelka, who works on the Nightline Sports Network, says it begins and ends with Brett Hodges, that you are the best transfer ever, in UCF history. Do you agree with Trace? <laughs> yes. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. When you put on your shoes in the morning, do you put them on sock, shoe, sock, shoe, or do you put on sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. That's the right Does answer. anybody do it the other way? No, that's the right answer. I'm not sure who, no, what are the psychopaths. I put on my sock and then a shoe. See, then psychopath. The other foot, sock and a shoe. I didn't even realize I did it until I asked this question one time and then I, I checked myself. I mean, sadly, Brett, he's also a UCF alum like you and I, so we have, <laughs> we're saddled with that uh, and, and the de, uh, the devaluation of our degree. But uh, but nonetheless, we appreciate Mike for what he's done. And, and obviously, we appreciate you for taking some time to join us tonight. Uh, again, you only played one season, but uh, I think for the diehard fans, uh, that 2009 season is, is certainly a memorable one. Obviously, Marshall coming up here in the bowl game, uh, certainly good to reminisce about the uh, about the 2009 game and, and uh, the come-from-behind win. We'll get you out here on this one. How do you think UCF will do Monday in the Gasparilla Bowl against Marshall? Are you expecting a win? Yeah, they're going to win. What's the spread, 17? Yeah, it's, it opened yep. at 17. I think it's moving down a little bit, but 17 is pretty much the spread. I'm going to say 24. Say one by 24. I like the way you think, Brett. Easy. Easy money. Easy money from uh, from Brett Hodges, man. Again, we appreciate you for for hopping on, and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe catch up with you uh, again down the road. Yeah, absolutely. appreciate it again for you guys having me on. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.